Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, that hot rod farmer from you know where, New Jersey, right? And welcome aboard, and I want to thank you for spending the next one half hour with me. And as you always know, we get together here in the farm shop over here on Cat Swamp Road every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern with a re-air and encore every Sunday at 6 p.m. So it's at a different times time slot so people on the West Coast and all around can listen to it and uh, interact with me. And I hope that you do that. And I want you to reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And I want to know where you listen from, about your farm, about your operation, your range, so that I can make my content more geared towards you. For example, last week, or maybe two weeks ago now, I was at the uh, National Farm Machinery Show in Kentucky, and it was wonderful. And if you didn't attend, the, at the, the, the attendance was unbelievable. I don't know how many people were there, but the second day, it took me 45 minutes to get into the parking lot. And there were just farmers and great people all over the place. But I ended up meeting a gentleman, and uh, I was talking to him. I was over at the, uh, I think it's called 360 Yield, Greg Souter's booth. And interestingly enough, he listens to the show, and I'm hoping to get him on my On the Road podcast. And if you don't know what that's about... I do a I do a podcast that doesn't play on Sirius. It goes it's on my website and podcast hosting sites along with my Idle Chatter podcast, and it's um, called On the Road. And I feature people that are passionate about farming or firing orders. And since I Greg told me he listens to me on Sirius XM to this show, and I and he's a very passionate person. I'm going to get him on my On the Road show. So when that airs, when we get that when that happens, I will let you know <clears throat> on Rural Radio. And so you could switch over to there and listen. But anyway, at, I was talking to this gentleman from Maine, and he is a potato grower. And he grows 900 acres of potatoes. And he was telling me, along with a couple of other farmers, that it was very interesting because I was always concerned or interested to learn in row crops. We're so cognizant of not touching the soil, no-till. I mean, I do no-till and, you know, organic matter and what have you. And anything that grows on the ground, like a potato, carrot, onion, sugar beet, you're constantly moving the soil around. So I asked him about that, and he was saying that up in Maine, his farm, the organic matter is 0.5%, a half a percent. And uh, he said that his CEC, his cation exchange capacity, mine is floating just around six, a little bit below six. And I thought that was 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 sandy, but his is down at like two or three. So basically, in essence, I guess his soil is so sandy, it's almost like beach sand. Uh, but what he was telling us, which was very interesting, is that from the moment he goes in the field to the moment to plant potatoes and then he takes a potato out of the field not washing it not doing anything just to the the growing process it's cost him six thousand dollars an acre to grow potatoes and with and it seems that there's a there's a lot of applications of different products during the growing season because and i never realized that because we kind of grew some potatoes here in the farm i mean in a garden and uh and he says you know potatoes grow from the ground up not the ground down so there's a lot of care and a lot of 
trips through the field with sprayer and what have you um and irrigation so it was very very interesting i thought sweet corn was expensive to grow but these potatoes good god in heaven and he did tell us what his yield more or less is and it's in tons but i honestly don't remember so i will not repeat it but on today's show what i'm going to be talking about is there's a lot of things there's the word metric the word metric is the way something is measured a standard that it's that is measured by so the thing is that there's a couple of metrics out there that are very confusing and really don't make sense and farmers have to deal with them every day so that is going to be the focus of today's episode but i want you to sit pat during the break get your cup of coffee or whatever you have there and we're going to go over these different different theories of measurement that make no sense whatsoever but never forget that agriculture runs on machinery but what profits on reliability Sirius XM's Road Dog Trucking Radio. It's more than fuel. It's more than truck payment. It's more than maintenance. It's about the business of trucking. We're talking a little bit about stock prices. Then we switch into uh, tech talk. Highway reconstruction, infrastructure. The economy, regulation, business, and more. We tend to switch topics a lot. Road Dog Trucking Radio. Covering the entire trucking industry. Do be advised. Sirius XM Channel 146. The Sirius XM app and connected devices and speakers. The Cowboy Channel Bar in the historic Fort Worth Stockyards is the country's first bar dedicated 100% to Western sports. Watch your favorite rodeo on one of the 11 televisions from the Texas Swing and the National Finals Rodeo. Cowboy Channel Bar is your ticket to the best drinks and the most iconic rodeos from across the country. Saddle up to the bar seven days a week or head downstairs to the historic speakeasy on the weekend. Located right under the famous Fort Worth Stockyards sign, visit the Cowboy Channel Bar today. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. Every week we explore the rich yet often overlooked culinary depth of the American Midwest. Together we'll learn about the foodways of our region through compelling interviews with a variety of guests, each of whom highlight a unique thread in the Midwestern culinary tapestry. Tune in for Eat Your Heartland Out, Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147. This is Justin Mills, rancher and host of the Working Ranch Radio Show, inviting you to join us on Saturdays at noon Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147. We'll go in-depth on topics that are relevant to the sustainability of our beef industry. So join us on Saturdays at noon Eastern for the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. If it happens outdoors, on the trail, or on the water, we are going to share it with you on The Bend, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. So as I said in the opening segment, we're going to talk about how different things are measured. And things is probably not a good word, but it's the word that I'm using. So for instance, right, a bushel of corn is 56 pounds, but yet a bushel of soybeans and wheat is 60 pounds. A light bulb, whether it's a light bulb in your house or a light bulb, a headlight bulb on your car or your tractor or in your barn, is measured in watts. But if you, but Ohm's law is at watts is an any is a rate of energy consumption. It's not a rate of illum, illumination. All right. And the same token, when we look at engine temperature, 
if you once I get into that later on in this in this segment, you're going to see that the way we read engine temperature is kind of convoluted, and that's the whole industry, not just not just here on the farm. And then the last thing I want to touch on is hydraulic pressure and how we're reading it in pounds per square inch or if it or some other some other scale that we're using. I don't want to use the word metric. All right, is that you could see that that is only part of the story. So let's start with something very simple, like a light bulb, right? If you go, if you have a, a light bulb in your house, in your shop, in your closet, or a headlight bulb, you'll see that it's usually rated with watts. And volts times amps equals watts, which is according to Ohm's law. So watts is a, is a rate of energy consumption. It is not a rate of illumination. And then years ago, they started to rate light bulbs based upon the energy consumption. And that, that is not an indicator of how much light it's going to go give off it's a partial indicator so if you have a higher amount of wattage a higher amount of energy consumed by the bulb then in then empirically we all know that that's a brighter bulb we say hey i got a 60 watt bulb and i can't see what's going on give me a 100 watt bulb all right so we know that but the true metric using that word from the beginning right the true metric of how to read or how to measure illumination is in lumens. And if you look at some light bulbs today, it'll say 46 watts or 1,000 lumens or 600 lumens. So what is that all about? So a lumen and it measures the illuminance, all right, of the light and its intensity within a space. So we have two different ways of measuring lumens and it's foot candles which is how much light is given off in one square foot or we have lux l-u-x which is basically the same thing but it's a a metric equivalent and it's how many how much light is given off in a square meter and to measure lumens uh we need to use a lux meter l-u-x and there is today there is very inexpensive lux meters and uh, and they measured the, the 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 rate of the brightness the rate of illumination and why is this important to you well first of all is that if you go to the store and you look to buy bulbs for your farm shop your house whatever is that it makes no sense anymore we always used to buy a 100 watt bulb a 200 watt bulb a 60 watt bulb it's got these oddball ratings 17 watts but so many lumens because watts was never an accurate way to measure illumination of an area that a bulb is going to give out give off it's, it's going to tell you how much energy it's going to use to run it and then we were kind of backdooring it for more than a hundred years we were backdooring it and trying to say well if we have this much wattage then we will we never really had any way of identifying it in our house we say oh, it's too it's too dark in here we need a higher wattage bulb but why i am bringing this up is because things have changed in the world and what i suggest that you do is two things number one is that if you're going to be 
upgrading lighting in your dairy barn, any type of barn, shed, your, your, your machinery shop, whatever it may be, or even going and buying, let's say, lights for a combine or a sprayer, or you're buying your blessed to be able to buy a new combine or a new sprayer, all right, you need to be able to identify accurately how many lumens what that light is giving off because that's really where the rubber meets the road no pun intended or where the steel the soil and steel meet right if you're going to be combining at night you're going to be spraying at night you're going to be planting at night you need to have that that ability to be able to see so what i would suggest that you do is two things if you're considering doing any building upgrades in other words just putting lights in go to um let me see. I wrote down this website. Where is it? Where I, uh, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll have to find it. Oh, excuse me. Here it is. The Illuminating Society of Engineers. There's a website. It's just like this Automotive Society of Engineers, the Illuminating Society of Engineers, and they will give you a guideline for the amount of lux, L-U-X, that you need for a certain work area. Now, this varies by people's eyesights and what have, eyesight and what have you, but it's going to give you a good guideline. So if you're going to be, I know a, a couple of listeners had contacted me and they, they upgraded the lighting in their dairy barn, and some of them are happy with it, some of them are not happy with it. So I would say do your own do your due diligence don't just rely on what the contractor or the guy in the electrical electrical supply house is telling you or somebody on the internet go to this alumnation society of engineers do your due diligence find out for the area you need how it's it's basic math all right it's nothing it's nothing crazy and then you could make a proper purchase now the same thing is that i suggest for you to do is invest in a lux l-u-x meter there you could buy one for 40 or 50 dollars or even less they're handheld i mean you're not going to use it to design light bulbs you're going to get a basic reading for your farm and then you could take readings of the lux the amount of illumination that you have let's say in your workshop that you want more instead of going well i need more light over this workbench well you could quantify with the lux meter how much light you have now and then if so let's say arguably i'm you have 400 lumens there or on the lux meter and then you say well it's really it's hard for me to see if i'm taking something apart all right then you and you buy an advanced lighting system then you know if it's only 450 you're really not getting your money's worth so like anything in life by doing a pre-side dress nitrogen test you know what you have a soil test a tissue test that the the educated farmer the knowledgeable farmer is the most profitable so an inexpensive lux meter will go around and tell you how much lighting you're having in that particular area. And that is, lighting is a whole science unto itself that you could have the, the color of the light, all right, the way the, the beam of light comes down. But the fact of the matter is you need to be able to quantify what you have now to improve it, all right? So I did a little bit of research, and as far as giving you a basic idea of of lux readings so what the what the society the society of illumination engineers say a bright sunny day is about one hundred thousand lux out in the sun full daylight all right is ten thousand lux and uh a a 
uh, a headlight in a car is about low beam is about seven or eight hundred lux, and high beam is about eighteen hundred lux. Now, also use this lux meter. Let's say you're going to replace some lights on your tractor, your combine, your sprayer, and you're going, you're shopping around for them. And lots of times they'll have a display at the at the tractor at the, at the tractor dealer or the farm supply store, any place that's selling lights. And then you could go with this lux meter and turn on, have them turn on that light and then say, okay, fine, this is how many lumens it has. Today, there's a lot of, you know, I'm not being cynical, but you really have to be an educated consumer because as as there's so many advancements in products and things, it also opens the door for a lot of things that are not what they seem. So invest in a lux meter. You could do an internet search. They're not expensive and make sure that you have the lighting that you need. The next thing I would say to you, is engine temperature right you say "Ah, hot rod that's what's well you have to realize that an engine a a coolant temperature gauge on any engine no matter what it's in is reading the liquid temperature at one point that does not necessarily mean that it's the hottest point it could be the coldest point it could be the intermediate point the hottest point where the coolant works the hardest is around the exhaust valve and combustion chamber in a diesel or gasoline engine and that's why it is so important to measure or not to measure pay attention if you're vehicle or your tractor has that cylinder head temperature all right because cylinder head temperature is what you want to look at the thing basically is the way we measure coolant temperature in an engine for every no matter what it is it would be like putting somebody in a bathtub and saying okay fine we know what the temperature of the water is in the bathtub before we put the person in and now we put the person in the bathtub and we read the temperature change because the the heat is coming from the castings of the cylinder head, the castings of the turbocharger, the, ca- the castings of the uh, engine block, and it's the um, thermal transfer that is going to raise the liquid temperature. So the thing is that, but as I said a minute ago, is that if you look at the coolant sensor, it is reading the temperature of the liquid right there. All right. So what can you do about it? Nothing, but you have to recognize that that the temperature in the cylinder head around the combustion chamber and exhaust valve is much higher it's hotter than what you're reading and then also if you if your piece of equipment has a cylinder head temperature metal surface temperature is the best thing to look at along with the liquid temperature because the liquid temperatures that's like going into the field with a combine and say well i got 400 bushels here well you got 400 bushels there that's the coolant temperature right there so keep that in mind that if you're really pushing an engine hard or if the engine has a lot of corrosion in the water jackets and a lot of rust and scale on it, it's going to insulate the, the, the heat exchange from the combustion event into the liquid coolant so the engine is actually going to look like it's running cooler than it actually is. All right, so that's important for you to understand that by design or the way we measure engine temperature is faulted on a liquid cooled engine and also since i'm talking about look at oil temperature because oil temperature even though it's going to be the same thing it's going to be measured one place in the sump it's going to give you an indication of what's going on 
because the oil temperature will historically be about 20 to 30 degrees hotter than the than the uh, coolant temperature. But you want to be able to look at that and keep your eye on that. If you're really pushing an engine, you'll see the oil temperature go up much higher. So it's very important for you to watch that and be cognizant of it, that it is not the temperature throughout the whole engine. You could say, well, how did I uh, pop a head gasket? How did I burn a valve over here? Or how did I burn a ring lane off a piston when the temperature was, the temperature, the temperature you'd say it was 220 degrees or 210 degrees. That's because it was the temperature there. That wasn't the temperature in, in, uh, in the cylinder head or other points throughout the engine. So, like I said, we can't do anything about it, but you have to be cognizant of it. The next thing I want to discuss is how we look at as an industry hydraulic pressure. Hydraulic pressure is a combination of flow and a restriction to flow. Hydraulic pressure is meaningless unless you are able to look at the flow rate and the hydraulic pressure and the temperature of the hydraulic fluid. Now, there is not a piece of equipment out there that I know that when you're sitting in the cab of it is going to give you all of that or even hydraulic pressure. But that is why a couple of, a couple of listeners had reached out to me and they said they wanted me to talk a little bit about hydraulic diagnostics, all right? And I'm hoping in the future to do a show on that but keep in mind that if you have a hydraulic system problem or you want to truly quantify how efficient the hydro you're buying a used piece of equipment right all right the thing basically is, is that how do you know how good the hydraulic system is because if it builds pressure you could go kink a line and have pressure all you want right so it's pressure and flow and that's why if you have a lot of hydraulic equipment and i've suggested this before you need to buy a proper diagnostic tool and a proper diagnostic tool is has integrally in it's all one unit and it's going to have a flow meter it's going to have a pressure gauge and it's going to have a temperature gauge to read the temperature of the fluid. Only then will you basically be able to tell what is going on with the hydraulic system and properly diagnose it. Other than that, you're just guessing and you're saying, well, it's got, it's like a person pulling this spark plug wire off an engine. Hey, crank it over, Joey. Right. Oh, I got a spark. I got, I got, I got shocked. That's meaningless because for a spark, for an ignition coil to spark in atmosphere, it takes very little energy for it to jump the gap of the spark plug under compression load takes a substantially more energy. So basically in essence, let's recap real quickly. I would I suggest that you in, that you invest in an inexpensive lux uh lux meter. If you're going to do upgraded lighting, or even if you're not going to do lighting, get an idea. You walk around with it in your hand, and and very, very simple, all right? You're going to upgrade lighting on a tractor, a combine, a sprayer. Take some lux readings first. Otherwise, you're going to be very disappointed because you, you, you may not have any more light. You may use less energy, but no more light, all right? The thing is that to keep in mind that the engine coolant temperature uh, that's red on the dashboard is an indicator but it's only a partial indicator because it's reading just the temperature in that one place that one location and to properly diagnose a hydraulic system you're going to need a tool that reads pressure flow and temperature 
right? So just like a, a bushel of corn, which a bushel is a volume measurement, is 56 pounds, and soybeans and wheat is 60 pounds, and then we go about test weight, right? So we, so we do our test weight, so we know that, that that metric, even though the industry works by that and uses it, but we have the rest of the story now, as Paul Harvey used to say. Welcome to Bushels and Cents from Farm Machinery Digest Radio, heard exclusively on Sirius XM Channel 147 Rural Radio. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, and never forget it is not what you make but what you keep that counts. It is important that you acknowledge how quickly your gasoline and diesel engines start, both cold and hot. It is an excellent qualifier of a pending issue. An extended crank time, even a second or two, on an EFI gas or common rail diesel can point to a fuel filter that is getting restricted or an electric fuel pump that is getting lazy. A diesel that cranks longer on its initial start may point to high resistance in the glow plugs, a weak glow plug relay, or a compromised intake air heater. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. Hello, I'm Ethan Wayne. Last year I had the privilege, along with my family, to pay tribute to our father and certainly one of the greatest American heroes of all time by opening John Wayne and American Experience in the Fort Worth Stockyards. Visitors love it. There's so much to see from memorabilia stemming from a lifelong movie career to our family car my dad brought home when I was just a boy. Come spend a couple hours and immerse yourself in the Western nostalgia. Get a unique look into the Duke's life that's only available here. Can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Well, when the railroad pays off, you can take 20000 out of the kitty for me. Well, I guess you'll have to excuse me, ladies. Son, since you haven't learned to respect your elders, it's time you learn to respect your betters. Oh. Oh. Tickets are available on johnway.com, or they can be purchased at the Cowboy Channel Bar across the street on Exchange Avenue. Reserve your tickets now. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. If you have any questions about what we went over or anything else, please feel free to reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And now we're going to get ready to meet me in a farm shop, right? We checked those those lights that we got with our Lux meter. We know they're not as good as we thought they were. So we're going to bring in Texru Binowitz, and he is from Ripsaw Records. He's the hot rod man. All righty, Tex, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. And on the Meet Me in the Farm Shop, we're going to talk about disc brake adjustment. And you say, Hot Rod, I never adjusted my disc brakes. That's right, because it's happening automatically, and I'm going to explain that to you. And it makes no difference if it's on a, a truck or a car or any piece of equipment, hydraulic disc brakes. Not air disc brakes, hydraulic disc brakes. So, okay, unlike drum brakes, disc brake calipers do not have a mechanical adjustment as the pads wear. The fluid level in the master cylinder and thus the hydraulic system is the adjustment. 
As the brake pads become worn, the caliper's piston moves further out of the bore, keeping the pad to rotor distance relatively constant. <clears throat> Since the piston is not fully retracted, the fluid level in the master cylinder drops. This basic hydraulic function keeps the braking performance linear as the pads and rotor wear. This way, brake pedal travel does not increase substantially during the pad service life. By checking the fluid level in the master cylinder, it will be representative of the brake pads wear. If the fluid level is low, the pads are worn. So that is very important. So when you open up the, you look at the master cylinder, and you see the fluid level is low all right then that's showing that the pads are wearing and that they are getting to be worn so it's a natural adjustment that is happening there so i want to thank you so much for for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and i'll catch you next week god willing take care and be safe bye-bye this week on Rule Radio, Channel 147. We are well underway on the second leg of the Texas Tour in San Antonio. Tune in every night this week for the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Pools, barrels, and brocks all found on Rule Radio. Exclusively on Sirius XM. Tune in this week to Rule Radio, Channel 147 and listen anytime on the SXM app. RFD TV is the number one most trusted source for market information by America's farmers and ranchers. 41 states across the country are blending ethanol at at least a 10% rate. With long-term weather forecasts. And we're going to have another system actually coming into California from the Pacific. And expert analysis of the commodities markets as soon as moves happen. I'll just call it squirrely in the ag commodity markets. Catch Market Day Report and the Rural Evening News weekdays only on RFD TV and Rural Radio. This is a Dairy Radio Minute. The Agriculture Department's latest data shows dairy's commercial disappearance in 2022 was strong. Not according to Stonex dairy broker Dave Krasowski. Looking back over the last 12 months, U.S. domestic dairy disappearance was up 1.6%. That's a pretty healthy number. When you start to look at the products individually, though, tells a little bit of a different tale. Total cheese up 2.1%. That's very strong. It's good to see all this buoyed by the export side of things. So total cheese exports were up 12% over the last 12 months. American cheese exports up 38% over the last 12 months, which is really strong showing for American cheese. On the butter side, however, butter disappearance down 4.6% over the last 12 months. And we had exports up 47.6% in 22. So domestic sales of butter, really weak, down 7%. 